strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, as I live and breathe, live in studio, Dave Ramsey, welcome. Oh, it's an honor to finally be in person with well, you, brother. <laughs> Listen, it was uh, it was fun watching the line of people wanting books signed and pictures taken. You're a legit superstar in this town. <laughs> You're struggling for a star around here. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, let's just before we get into the questions about why you're in town. Um, has it surprised you over the years the number of people that turn to you and then turn up thanking you for the advice that got them financial security? Uh Yes and no. I mean, we certainly know there's a lot of people in debt and a lot of people struggling, so it's a huge market. We always laugh and say, me and Jenny Craig got a big job. You know what I mean? It's a lot. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. And uh, then, then on the other hand, when you actually meet the real person who hasn't had a vacation, and uh, I think she told me eight years and is getting ready to go on a two-week vacation that works here, mm-hmm. and I uh, said because they had followed and done the stuff. But she's the hero. I mean, she did the stuff. Lots of people sit on the sidelines and whine and don't do anything, so she and her husband actually did the the work and so um, there's heroes everywhere. Isn't it interesting you make the comparison with losing weight? It's when you see results, the sacrifice becomes much easier. Oh, always. We always have to have feedback. Human beings need to have measurable traction. One of the most frustrating jobs in the world you could have is when you don't know if you're winning or not at your job. You know, it's you know, I always tell leaders when we're teaching leadership, when people don't know what their job is and then they don't know if they're winning or not, it's like taking them bowling and turning out the lights. There's noise, but we don't know if we're winning. That's a great example. So let's talk about the, the building wealth, this live event. What exactly does that mean, building wealth? Well, uh what we figured out was earlier last year, or earlier this year, rather, there was a lot of movement. It's kind of calmed down now in the get-rich-quick spaces. Uh, certainly, Bitcoin was moving, and people were uh, – NFTs were out there. Uh, nothing down real estate had made it back again. And, you know, we're going to get rich with no money in real estate, which is a joke. You're going to get broke is what you're going to get. And so we started addressing those kinds of things and said, oh, no, there is a real way to build wealth. It is, happens to be none of those gold rush things. And so – But we've modified that content uh, for tonight and tomorrow night to address really what's going on in the world today at this moment. Uh, A lot of folks are kind of facing the midterms. They're kind of waiting on someone else to fix their life, and we want to destroy that idea because no one else is going to fix your life but you. You're the hero in your story. The the phrase baby step millionaire, it makes it such a practical way for people to really feel as if they're making progress. Well, it is. And and where that came from was our baby steps. We teach the seven baby steps over and over and over and over and over on the Dave Ramsey show. If you listen to it for five minutes, you've heard this, you know. And and so, but what we were discovering is we kept running into these millionaires everywhere. And then we started running into them because I've been doing this for 30 years. And so we started running into folks who go, you know, I followed your baby steps and that's how I became a millionaire. And so we nicknamed those guys baby steps millionaires. And then we said, okay, People that did not inherit the money, we call those everyday millionaires. And so it's kind of, I just kept hearing all these hope stealers out there, all these guys running around saying you can't do it in America today. America's broken. We have systemic failure, economic oppression, and the little man can't get ahead. Well, bull crap. I'm running into them everywhere that are getting ahead. And that's why we did that book was to show the real statistical facts that it can be done today. All right. So since I have you here, I can't be the only one that's been in this position, but twice in the last dozen years, I've absolutely started over 
financially. I'm 55 years old. I'm on track, but I also feel like I'm a lot closer to the end than I am at the beginning. How does someone in my position follow the baby steps, or do, do I have enough time to follow the baby steps? It's the only way, and it's the shortest way. Um, and yes, you've got plenty of time. Uh, we meet people that start at 60 and even 65 and are able to attain a level of wealth. So the typical baby steps millionaire that we studied out of studying 10,000 millionaires, it took them a somewhere around 15 years to become a net worth millionaire. During that time, 10.2 years, they paid off their home. And so getting 100% debt free, so you got a paid for home in Phoenix, that's close to a million in a lot, or over a million in a lot of cases, right? And on top of that, you got your 401k, your Roth IRAs, and that money's building and building and building over 10, 15 years. Pretty quickly, that's going to bump into a million. And so you're going to have a million and a half, two million dollar net worth in, you know, 15 years, give or take. So, you know, as you hit 70, you'll be there, but you've got, you know, you, you got it. No more backstepping, no more debt, no more falling in the hole again. Uh, you know, if you just follow that simple, boring plan, you'll get there. So let's talk. You mentioned the Phoenix real estate market, the Valley. We call it the Valley, but uh, the Metro Phoenix area seeing a cooling off period. And a lot of people are afraid we're going to see 2008 all over again. You're not going to see 2008. I'm 100% sure. I was here in 2008. Okay, I was on the air in 2008. I, Phoenix was one of the markets we were watching. Uh, it took one of the biggest plunges. Las Vegas was even bigger. It was the fastest growing city in America at that time, and it went down the tubes, and it took it, it was one of the longest to recover. But Phoenix did not have... Uh, a true bubble at that time. It just had, uh, it was overbuilt is all it was. There was a glut in the market. And so when the demand dried up and there was an oversupply, we saw the market dive. We're not seeing demand drying up and we're not seeing an oversupply. Quite the opposite. Now, you did see a 33% increase in the valley in, in values in one year. I've been in real estate 40 years. I've never seen that in one year. That's highly unusual and up. Does that mean it's getting ready to come down? No, it's already adjusted down about 5%. So the net by the end of the year is probably going to be or the end of a two-year period of time is probably going to be back to normal. You're going to see this market normalize, slow down. It's going to take you a normal amount of time, 60, 90 days to sell a house instead of 60, 90 minutes. And so just calm your butt down, enjoy a normal real estate market. But is it going to crash? I don't think so. This market's too strong and too diversified. What do you say to the uh, people that are either at, at the lower end of the income uh, ladder and or the people that are saying, you know, I'm barely keeping my head above water. I can't even think about my future and growing wealth. What do you say to them? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to start managing the money in the situation you are right now. And as soon as people do that, and if you listen to the, to the show, the Ramsey show with the debt-free screams, 95, 96% of the debt-free screams increased their income during the time they were getting out of debt. Because what happened was they sat down, they looked at it and they said, crap, we don't make enough money. And so they picked up side hustles. Some of them changed jobs. Some of them walked into the boss and said, I need a raise. But almost every case, 96% of the debt-free screams increase their income. And you can do that, but it's not easy. I don't want you to work an extra job your whole life, but you might do it as a short-term thing to get to the next level and then change jobs. But career is part of the equation. Income's part of the equation. Outgo's part of the equation. So you've got to address that side of it. But you know, you've got to take care of food, shelter, clothing, transportation, and utilities first and foremost. And uh, when you're standing at the pump, you see those Biden stickers say, I did that. It, it scares the crud out of you. 
Um, one of the things that I admire about you is you give people hope. You, you, when you say to someone, you can do it, you empower people. I mean, I really believe that about you, that they, when you say to the average person looking at your situation, I'm telling you, you can do it. And people listen. So if, if people want to learn more about the Ramsey Solutions, how can they find out more? Because I think if nothing else, that positive influence helps so many people. I appreciate that. That's our goal. That's the product we sell is hope. But our hope is not based on uh, fantasy or just fluff or motivational talk. It's, hey, here's the actual numbers. You can do this. I'm looking at your situation. You gave me your thing. Yes, you can do this. But I gave you the parameters under which you got to do to do it. So that gives you real hope. But it's based on, it's not just bluff. You can really do it, Mike. I mean, in the, so RamseySolutions.com is where you find all of our stuff. The Ramsey Show here on KTAR every day. Thank you, KTAR. Thank you, Phoenix Valley, for incredible ratings and telling all your friends. We appreciate you. Well, Dave, I appreciate the time today. It's, it's great to meet you in person, and I hope we get to hang out a little bit more sometime. Let's do it, bro. All right. That's Dave Ramsey. He's in town for a two-day event, Building Wealth Live. I'd give you the information, but it's been sold out for a long time. But he get in town. Get to the books. Get to the website. We'll be back here in a moment. Values and strong opinions from Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. And a big thank you to uh, Dave Ramsey coming all the way down to the radio station. He's in town for a two-day event uh, just to come down and hang out and uh, do a segment on the show. So I, I do appreciate Dave. It, it's very, you know, you get pulled in 85 different directions when you're doing something like he's doing. And uh, very kind of him to come in studio. So thank you again to Dave Ramsey. Um, want to talk about this time every time I say in even in my own head that I'm going to talk about this because it's very important. I just imagine people rolling their eyes and thinking I can't think of a more boring thing to talk about uh, than water. Uh, but if you live in Arizona, you understand uh, the desert southwest is, is suffering an immense drought and has been uh, for a while and it's getting worse and worse. But what Arizona has done, the hard work of John Kyle, Senator John Kyle years ago with the Central Arizona Project, Salt River Project, they've done a very good job. But so has the cities and towns in the state of Arizona as a whole. And we got to give a lot of credit to the tribes as well. They have done an excellent job of managing water. We've done an excellent job of collecting and storing water out of necessity. But we have done a much better job than our neighbors. If you were to talk about environmentalism as a whole, um, we would guess that the environmentalists would be in California more than they would be in Arizona. But in practical usage, in practical application, Arizona has been in a much better position. And now facing cuts, we are going to take much deeper cuts than California will because of the Central Arizona Project and the agreement that had to be made and the way it was. And it was an agreement that it was that was the way it had to be done. Well, now we're seeing Arizona towns, um, the state, Arizona towns and the tribes are rethinking their planned water cuts. Uh, if you want to go over to, uh, to KTAR.com, there's a Cronkite story, a news story as well out there. Um, the Gila River Indian community said in August that it will begin storing water underground rather than contributing them to the system conservation programs for Lake Mead. Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tucson, Peoria, and Glendale are considering following suit, asking to get their full allotment of water instead of financial compensation they might have received for reducing their take from the system. And this topic of water in Arizona, we live in a desert, but we've talked in the past. There are some misnomers about water. There are some misconceptions about water usage. When you see a housing development go in where it used to be farmland, especially cotton, 
the thought is, oh my gosh, look how much more water is going to be used. In reality, those housing developments use less water or about the same amount of water as what was there before when it was a cotton field or if it was alfalfa or whatever it was. And so it isn't necessarily that that is going to increase the, 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 the usage. But we do understand that being in a drought, watching the dramatic drops in Lake Mead, watching what's happening to um, – uh, Lake Powell is something that is very concerning and should be to everybody. Um, the people of Arizona have done a good job. One of the things we spoke with somebody from water management in the city of Phoenix who said that the biggest issue that people wait where they waste water is outdoors and how they water their lawns. Now, I have a lawn. I like a green lawn, but I've backed off. I water every other day. I'm shortening the duration. You can keep your lawn green without um, without going off the deep end with too much, with overwatering. So we think about it in the house, turning the taps off, using you know low low flow toilets or whatever in your home, and um, all the things that businesses are doing to reduce water usage. When outdoors is where we see the biggest waste, and so it's just one of the tips. But as far as Arizona cities getting together and saying, "Hey, wait a minute," you know, we understand everybody's having a tough time. But take a look at what Arizona has done. Take a look at what we have done to manage water, to store water. We've done a lot of work that a lot of other places haven't. As a matter of fact, just recently, there was a, a, a national story that came out about some very well-known celebrities who have made some changes. I think when you get embarrassed publicly, uh, they were using – they had all gotten fines and letters that said, you you are using over 150 percent of your allotment for water. Most of that was their swimming pools and watering their lawns. And most of them said, we didn't realize it. Now that it's happened, we're going to do what we have to do to roll back our use. But what about the efforts that have been made in places like Arizona to store water and to do the things we've done? Because we understand Arizona is in a very good place for growth. We are going to continue to grow. The valley is a very attractive place. The desert southwest is where people are coming. So on top of a drought, we are also seeing a relocation of many, many people. Getting out in front of this, whether it's desal or it's a pipeline from the Mississippi or Missouri rivers, um, this is something that we should have been maybe looking at years and years and years ago. But it's something we better get on because we are going to be in a position where it's going to start really hurting. These cuts that are coming are going to really hammer the ranchers. It's not going to be the average person you're not going to see in the valley. You are not going to see restrictions on your water usage, at least not in the immediate future. But what it's going to do to agriculture in Pinal County, that's going to be a big hit. And it's going to hit their economy. It's going to hit our economy. Because we understand that our economy is, uh, you know, what food costs, the less food they're producing drives the price up even higher. So this is a big crisis in Arizona, one we're going to keep our eye on. Coming up in a moment, my friend Ron Wolfley from Arizona Sports joins us. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cardinals. That's coming up here in just a moment. Broomhead talks Cardinals with color analyst and former Cards fullback Ron Wolfley. Oh, my digging the chili of what the Cardinals are mixing up. Bird's Eye View, brought to you by AZ Valley Windows, Arizona's most trusted window replacement company since 2004. Oh, Bird's Eye View, uh, not the way we wanted to start the season. Ron Wolfley joins me. Welcome back, Ron. Appreciate it, bro. 
Um, let me, I, I want to give you a perspective and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, what I was most disappointed in yesterday, I was looking at the defensive side of the ball. They seemed completely unprepared. There were so many plays where they were aligned in the wrong place. Like a captain of the team had to move players around. They didn't seem like they knew where they're even supposed to line up on some of the plays. No, it's a great observation. Uh, they were having communication problems. There's no doubt about that. Having a hard time getting lined up. Um, you know, Isaiah Simmons, of course, had the green dot. Um, that's the first time he's had the green dot uh, this year, obviously. Um, and maybe that had something to do with it as well. But they did have some communication issues. But that's really not why they lost this game. It really is not. They lost this game, to me, to me at least, on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Offensively, they could not run the ball the way they needed to be able to run the ball, in my opinion. And defensively, they could not stop the run. Brew, let me just tell you this right now. When the Kansas City Chiefs are able to run the ball, you go back and you look at the first quarter, and you watch the Kansas City Chiefs, and you watch their offense, and you look at how many times they ran the ball and effectively ran the ball, gaining four yards, ripping it for 10 yards, whatever it may be. That opened up the entire playbook to the Kansas City Chiefs. When they were able to run the ball, that opened up the playbook for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's what's going to happen. They're going to give up 44 points when they're able to do that because now all of a sudden the whole playbook is in front of Pat Mahomes. And honestly, bro, the Chiefs could have scored 60 if they wanted. What what concern, is it a big concern with the players that are missing? How much of that do you attribute to J.J. Watt not being there and, you know, uh, not having DeAndre Hopkins? How much of a role does that play overall? Or is this just just being beat at the line of scrimmage completely? Yeah, no, 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 no. You know, honestly, uh, having J.J. Watt, that would have helped. Having DeAndre Hopkins, that would have helped. But it does not. It does not change my take on what I saw yesterday at all. You, listen, you can only go on what you see. And, Brew, the most important thing right now is that everybody inside the organization, everybody inside the organization, not just the locker room, but everybody inside the organization tells the truth about what happened yesterday it's it's exactly the same situation as what happened at the end of last year in the rams playoff game you had to be able to tell the truth you got your butt kicked you did not play well it was a failure on every level and everybody played a part in it you've got to admit that you've got to move on but you've got to admit that truth to begin with and as a football player challenge yourself to make sure it never happens again so it doesn't get easier. They have to go to Vegas, they play the Raiders, and then they're at home against the Super Bowl champion. So it does not get easier for these guys. Can they can they make the necessary changes and play up to the level that we all thought they could and where they started last year? Well, yeah, that's the question right now. Do you mind if I take a prove-it mentality? Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind? I mean, honestly, right now, based on what we saw, that's the most disconcerting thing about what we saw is that it kind of looked like, again, the end of last year, 2021, and how the season ended against the Rams. and. Right now, listen, football is a meritocracy. One of the great things about football is it's right there for everybody to see. Yeah, are there intangibles? You better believe it. Are there techniques and other X's and O's and schemes you can break down? Absolutely. 
But watching the Arizona Cardinals play yesterday, I think we'd all agree, they just got flat-out outplayed, mm-hmm. period, in every phase. And, you know, because of that, man, you've got to bone up and you've got to prove it. And this is a prove-it league. And that means you got to go up there with a chip, not on your shoulder, a chip in your heart based on how you played here in week one. Go up to Vegas and lay it on the line. Every guy inside that locker room, and I expect to see that. Is that a coaching issue and coaching them up into that position, or is that a captain leadership issue that says yeah. we will not have that happen to us again? Which is it, or is it a combination? That's a great. Yeah, that's a great question, right there, bro. Hey, look, it's it's a combination of both. It really is. You've got to have the the coach, of course, as the leader. He's got to be the guy that sets the tone for everybody else. But those leaders inside the locker room should model it for everybody. So once the coach gets up there and says it, of course, and the coaching staff, once they break out into their meetings and they're talking about it, they're talking about accountability, and they're talking about going out and playing your best and being prepared up there against the Raiders. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that, bro. You've got you to have the coach and the coaching staff set the tone on that. But after that... All week long, it's going to be the leadership inside that locker room who walks around and models what that looks like for everybody else. Because, listen, by the time you go out on Sunday, the week is done. The work is done. It's what you do on Wednesday. It's what you do on Thursday. It's what you do on Friday that is so important. That's what the Cardinals have to do before they go up and play the Raiders. I want to pick your player brain for just a moment. In the meetings sure. this week, especially today, when these team when the when they break out and they get together with their coaches, do you watch this game and suffer through watching how badly you got beat so you keep that feeling in your heart and you never have let it happen again? Or do you put it behind you as quickly as possible and prepare for the Raiders? Which is it? No way. You sit there. I'd, I'd have a four-hour meeting today watching that tape. I'd sit there and break down every little detail of this tape. Yeah, I don't think you move off this quickly. you got to let this one leave a mark, bro. Yeah, and that's it's tough. You know, I'm such a I'm a homer. I love the Cardinals. I had high expectations for the season, like everybody else does. There were flashes where Kyler Murray looked like the quarterback they'd wanted him to be. But like you said, as a team, they look like they just got outplayed from the opening kickoff to the end of that game. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up Kyler Murray because I thought Kyler Murray played okay. I really did. He was getting no help. He was getting very little help from anybody else. They could not run the ball, as I said. The line of scrimmage is where I believe this game broke down. I said that earlier. I'll say it again. On both sides of the ball, I think the line of scrimmage is where this game broke down for the Arizona Cardinals. They could not run the ball effectively the way they need to be able to run the ball unless Kyler Murray was running the ball. That's that's not what you want to build your offense around. You want to be able to hand the ball off to a running back and let him be able to run the ball. James Connor had 10 carries for 26 yards. Now, he got some of those carries in short yardage and goal line situations, of course, and at the same time, he he was not able to run the ball as effectively as they need them to. And you flip it over and look at the the Chiefs. The Chiefs were able to run the ball when they wanted to, and the most discouraging thing was how the Chiefs were able to run the ball at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, and watching the Kansas City Chiefs run over the Cardinals when the Cardinals knew that's exactly what the Chiefs were going to do, very, very disappointing. It's going to take every guy playing twice as 
twice as good as what we saw yesterday to be able to go out and go up to Vegas and get a W. Wolf, I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking to you again next week, and hope we hopefully next week's conversation is going to be a little bit better than this one. This one's brutal. It sure is. Thanks, man. Yep. All right, that's Ron Wolfley. He'll join us each Monday, and uh, we'll talk Cardinal football. This week, a tough one, and he called it just like it is. This was not something you can candy coat, can't sugarcoat this one. Let's hopefully it's better, uh, better answers or a better result next week. Coming up in a moment, we talk about crime in Arizona. We talk about gun crimes, rise in violent crimes. All that's coming up in just a couple of moments. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for for being here. End of last week, um, Central High School went on lockdown. There was uh, a fight on campus. Three people were detained. They were victims of assault, it turned out to be. Looking for a suspect as they heard popping sounds. It really hasn't been confirmation of gunshots at Central High School. But after what's gone on across the country, you cannot be too careful. And it was a huge police response. Um, And the way that we are responding to what's happening in the country, I think, is counterproductive. Um, And let me explain why. Uh, shootings involving Phoenix police officers for the first half of 2022 are higher than all of 2021. Um, and so the and it isn't alive and well anymore. But the idea when we heard about all these things happening a couple of years ago, there was a push to defund the police as if the police were the ones that were responsible for bad behavior. Um, the police department is a reactionary force. That's what they are. The police department reacts to the the climate around them, and they are supposed to. There is um, something called – some call it the ladder of force or the steps of force, and you don't have to go through every step. But it starts with a verbal command. Officers learn this very earlier, deputies, whatever. Cops learn this early in their training. It starts with a verbal command. You ask someone to do something. If they don't, you tell them to do something. You can then go hands-on with a person, and if you want their hands on the car, hands where you can see them, whatever is hands out of their pockets, you can go hands-on. That's part of the the level of force where you can go hands-on to get them to comply with a lawful command. If there is a fight that ensues, you can use less than lethal or non-lethal force, whatever it might be that you can employ, including a taser or, or pepper spray, capstan, whatever it is, up to and including deadly force. Now, you don't have to reach each of those, but the way officers are trained is that they fought, they fight up until the amount of force is necessary. In other words, if there's an unarmed person that wants to fight you, pulling out your gun and shooting them is not an acceptable response. Fighting deadly force, a shooting somebody that's wielding a sword, as it happened in Phoenix this weekend, or a knife is an absolutely reasonable response. The idea that defunding the police and having less police officers, as I've described before, has never been an answer. Um, there were two scenarios that were uh, over a year apart, I believe, that happened, one here in Phoenix and another one in Florida. And I'm going to explain what happened very quickly. Here in Phoenix, a, a, an officer showed up on a scene where a man with a knife. I've talked about this many times. She was by herself, backup had not re- uh, responded. There is a self co- cell phone video of her backing away from the suspect, keeping the suspect at bay, giving him commands. But she had her firearm drawn because she was by herself. This guy had a knife. 
He would not comply with commands. Before backup got there, she ended up being forced to shoot the suspect. Fast forward to a Walmart in Florida. There was a, a woman in a Walmart in Florida that had a knife, and she was being confronted by a police officer with a gun, and she was being given lawful commands. She wasn't attacking, but she wasn't complying. She wasn't doing any of those things. A second officer showed up very quickly. That first officer put away his firearm, pulled out a taser, tased this woman, and they were able to take her into custody without shooting her. More cops on the scene made it safer. One had lethal force if necessary. Less than lethal or less lethal was used to get this woman to comply. The idea that less police officers is the answer to this problem is foolish, number one. But now we've got these stories that guns are going to be tracked through credit card purchases. UPS is saying that unless you have a certain amount of guns per week for like major distributors of firearms, that they may lose their UPS privileges. Now, I don't know if this is a business decision or one that has something to do with guns. The idea that you're going to disarm legal citizens, good citizens like myself. That you're going to make society safer by limiting my access or taking my access away doesn't make sense. Look at the crimes that have been committed over the weekend. Look at the arrests, the, the violent criminals that are being arrested days or hours after they have been released from prison or released from jail without bail. These are repeat offenders that continue, continue to prey upon our society. Why don't we start with them before you come after people like me? If it's more and more dangerous on the street, how are you? How can you, in good conscience, take away my firearms and say we're going to be a safer society? I'm certainly not safer. And again, I'm the person that continues to say, I call 911. I don't want to brandish a firearm. I don't want to brandish a firearm ever. I don't want to confront somebody with fire. I don't want to do it. But you have to be prepared in a society where we are seeing that it's getting more and more violent. Good people have a responsibility to protect themselves and the people around them. So let's focus on the criminals and how we stop them from being criminals, whether it's locking them up or letting them change themselves into law-abiding citizens, either way. But coming after law-abiding citizens seems to be counterproductive to what we need to do. That's just how it feels. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we shift to the economy. One very prominent American at the Treasury says we may be having high gas prices before the end of the year. How will it affect your wallet? We're going to talk about that in a moment.